be willing to talk to those around you. Be willing to reach out to coaches outside of the sport that you coach. But I guarantee there's something that you can pull that's going to help your program be more successful. We're so invested in what's going on in the future that we forget about living in the present. And it's really powerful now when we go to a cross-country meet and a Lincoln athlete is finishing and you see a line of Lincoln athletes cheering them on and they're all shouting LYT, which stands for Love Your Teammates. Hey everybody, welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Before we dive in today, I was hoping you would consider taking the time, either before or after the show, to help get the word out and share this thing via social media. It would also be really cool if you could leave a rating and if you felt so compelled, a review. Let's try to grow this thing so we can get as many student athletes and coaches to benefit from it as possible. And as we dive into episode seven, I wanted to welcome in Eric Detman from Lincoln High School in downtown Portland, Oregon, just about an hour north of where I am right now. Detman's the head cross country and track and field coach of the Lincoln Cardinals. In this conversation, we talk about bringing parents into the program, how to build culture, including some of the mantras that have helped make his program so successful, how to deal with having over 250 athletes and organizing practices, which is something I still can't get over. Uh, We also talk about speed training and how you could implement it today into your program and a whole bunch more. So please welcome Eric Detman from Lincoln High School. All right, we're live. I'm on here with Eric Detman from Lincoln High School Track and Field and Cross Country. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Max. Thanks so much for having me. So I, I wanted to start by giving you a chance to take us through your career, you know, first starting probably back in your, your high school days as an athlete into college and then where you are now and how that all kind of came about. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I actually started running in fifth grade, um, our local middle school. I grew up uh, just outside of the city of Chicago and our local middle school um, had a had a cross country program that I decided I wanted to be a part of. Um, tried to quit after the first day because uh, I couldn't be <laughs> graders. Um, and my dad wouldn't let me do that. And I still tell that story to this day around where I came home and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, that wasn't super fun. And he's like, well, you made a commitment to the team. Um, so, so you're going to, you know, you're going to see that all the way through. And at the end of the year, if you decide you don't want to do this, that's fine. Um, but I love that because that from the get go instilled in me, this idea of teamwork and, and being a part of something that's, that's bigger than myself. So, um, had four years of, of some kind of running experience in middle school, um, although that wasn't much. It was more just showing up to meets and racing. Um, but once I got to high school, uh, I went to a high school that's that's pretty well known um, in the in, in the running community, uh, York Community High School, um, and, and was kind of thrust right into it um, from a standpoint of we were a young team, we were a rebuilding team. Uh, this will sound funny, but the year before we were fourth uh, as a team, or the team was fourth, which was the worst showing. Uh, in something like 26 years at the state championships. Yeah. So, um, so our, my coach, Mr. Newton was really good about kind of slowly bringing my brother and I have a twin brother, um, who, who was uh, an incoming freshman with me, bringing us along slowly, but setting us up to, to be successful and knowing that we were going to be competing at the state meet as freshmen. Um, so I, I, I competed at the state meet as a freshman. We won a first, uh, state team title, um, which was super exciting, went on to win three more. So four total team titles. Um, and then my junior year, we won uh, the what's, what was then known as the Nike Team Nationals, what's now known as Nike Cross Nationals. So we won the first ever national championship. Um, my senior year, we were second. And then my senior year, we won a national championship in the distance medley relay um, yeah, during the track and field season. So um, a lot of success, which was super exciting. Had some incredible teammates um, who helped us get there. 
Uh, from there, I earned a scholarship to go to the University of Oregon, uh, and it was a totally different experience. Um, so I had a lot of success in high school, and, and I didn't experience all that much success in college. Um, and some of that was uh, related to some injury issues that that popped up that I didn't have control over. Some of that was dealing with a lot of self-doubt and, and wondering, um, do I like running anymore? Am I good at running anymore? Things like that. Um, so I battled a lot of that, and, and I was able to have one season of, of health, uh, really good health, and just missed making the Pac-12 squad uh, on the cross-country side. But um, that kind of shaped who I was, and, and, and it was during that time period where I realized, like, I want to coach. This is something that I want to I be a part of and I want to help others with. So kind of a really quick uh, overview of, of my background from a running standpoint. Have you ever kind of reflected? I mean, I know you've you talked about how your dad not letting you quit has been a story you can kind of pass on to other people. Have you ever taken the time to maybe step back and reflect on what that did for you and your kind of trajectory right now, where you are and what you are, what you're doing with your life? That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. All the time, honestly. Um, the job that I have now, um, it's it's kind of funny. Last week was my five year anniversary there, and in my job interview, I told that story. Uh, and I said, listen, this is the person you're going to get is you're going to get someone who's not going to give up on you. You're going to get someone who, if I fall in love with what I'm doing, I, I'm going to give every bit of effort that I can to ensure that, that I can be the best at what that is. Um, and, and I try to instill that in our kids all the time in terms of showing up, being prepared. Um, we have a couple of team mantras, but one of them is, is being the best version of yourself every single day. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes from that, that initial fifth grade experience, um, that my dad gave me of just, um, you know, I said this earlier, but being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Uh, and at the end of the day, if, if you're a part of something like that, it's, it's a really special environment. Well, it's a really special lesson you got from your dad in fifth grade. And then it's, it really is amazing to, I mean, there's times like that in my life too, where I think back to, you know, one thing that happened when I was, was young and how my whole life and where I am now can all, in, in a lot of ways, trace back to that one single event. And for mm -hmm. you, obviously, your, your dad not letting you quit was a huge one. Right. Um, so you're at, you're at Lincoln High School. Can you give us kind of a nutshell of um, what Lincoln High School is like, where it is, um, what the student body is kind of like? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's the only downtown Portland high school. Um, so we're a part of the Portland Interscholastic League, which is Portland Public Schools. Uh, we're one of the larger high schools. I think maybe we're third or fourth in the district in terms of uh, enrollment. We're a, a pretty affluent district. Um, not as much diversity as I would like. Not as much diversity as, as maybe I grew up uh, around when it came to the city of Chicago. Um, but but with that, you know, some of being in an affluent district, um, we have a lot of amazing resources. And, and, and I love our parents because uh, when I ask them to step up, rarely do I get a no. And, and when I say rarely, it's probably never. Um, they're really wonderful about just, you know, doing whatever it's going to take to, to ensure that their, their child has an unbelievable experience. So, um, this, this is my eighth year at Lincoln. Um, uh, this would have, or, or will be, I guess, if we have a season in the, in, in the spring, uh, will be my second year as the head coach on the cross country program. And it'll be my fourth year as the head track and field coach. Um, so I've been, I've been doing it for a while, um, but, but I've loved every minute of it. You, you mentioned parents and how they step up. Do you uh, do anything kind of early in the year with your teams and trying to get parents involved? Is it just through emails? Are you meeting with them in person? What are you doing to kind of cultivate those relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and it's interesting coming into the coaching world because I heard often that 
you know, parents are the worst part of the program. Yeah, that's what so many people make that claim. <laughs> I hear right. it all the time. Sure. And, and, and have we had our, you know, uh, our, our parents or, or a small handful of parents who haven't been um, the easiest to work with? Absolutely. But the parents who are willing to step up far and away outnumber those parents. Um, and in terms of building those relationships, I, you know, I think one thing I do pretty well is, is we'll, we'll host a potluck in the beginning of the year where um, everybody will bring a meal or a dish and, and the kids will sit around and hang out. And then we'll go through kind of our rules and expectations uh, when it comes to the season as well as the team. Um, but during that potluck, I make an effort to introduce myself to every single parent uh, and try to have a conversation with every single parent because you don't know when you might need something and that parent steps up. Uh, or you don't know, you know, when, when something, some type of situation might happen with their child and, and you need that parent to believe in you. Um, so trying to for, form that relationship right away has been uh, a, a really big positive thing for, uh, for our program. And, and then I'll essentially assign slash voluntold a couple of our key parents that they're like our team parents and, and they're going to be in charge of a handful of different tasks. And as their time runs up, you know, so their kids are, are graduating then I'll choose three or four more. And, and essentially they're, they're schooled by those, those leader parents to, to be the next ones for us. So um, we've got a pretty great system in that regard, uh, but it's certainly made my life a lot easier because I don't have to worry about some of the little things like you know, bringing bottled water to meets because most of those sites don't have some type of water on source or bringing snacks or if we're traveling out of state, you know, parents are taking care of potentially hotels or food or things like that. So it's been really beneficial for our program. Yeah, it seems like a really smart idea, kind of meeting with the parents face-to-face early on. I just think to what I've done and so much of the – I mean, for baseball, I don't – granted, I don't see them until the spring, and I'm sure you get a lot of crossover between cross-country and track and field athletes. But, mm-hmm. it, I, you know, I tried to involve them with emails and stuff early on, but even that, you know, it's it has its drawbacks because I think when you meet with people face-to-face, it makes it – I don't know, it makes it harder in the future to to maybe not treat that person with respect right? because they've had the opportunity to meet you. They have a face to the name. They're not just getting an email from a random guy, their, their kid's freshman year who they don't really know. Right. Absolutely. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And I try to be, so this is going to sound maybe cliche, but, but my head track and field coach used to tell us at the end of every season. So our banquet season's over, we're having our banquet, whatever. And he used to say the two most important words uh, that are never said enough or thank in you. And that's really resonated with me. And I try to tell my parents how thankful I am and how much easier uh, my life is because they're in it. Um, and, and I think that that's helped to, to create that bond and, and, and that trust and that, you know, maybe um, that, that larger desire to, to really help out and be a part of the program uh, because we really are thankful because we couldn't do what we do without them because you know, our track team is 250 kids, our cross country team is 150 kids. We don't have a large coaching staff. You know, we have four coaches uh, on that cross country uh, on my cross country staff, um, and that includes me. So four, you know, four coaches for our almost 150 kids is not a great ratio. So our parents are are instrumental to to making things run smoothly. Gosh, as a as a baseball coach, we have um, essentially every year about 45 uh, players in our program. Um, so anytime I even think about track and field, I mean, I'll watch our, uh, track and field team kind of go through their warm up sometimes when we have a rainy day and we're up at the turf at the school. And I am amazed by what has to go into the planning side of things to mm-hmm. get, uh, numbers that big organized and have 
you know, not only practices, but meets and everything run efficiently. Can you give us kind of an overview? Like, how do you even go about planning for even just a practice with 250 athletes? I love this question because, uh, because I didn't, I don't think I had a great answer to that a couple of years ago. Uh, and by listening to podcasts and going to some, some coaching clinics, it, it, it gave me a more clear picture of, of what that needed to look like. Um, so kind of what that looks like now is if we're talking specifically about track and field, you know, that means we're going to be starting a season, uh, late February, early March. Um, we're starting to meet as a staff in October and we'll meet once a month and, and talk about goals and expectations. And I really try to push my coaches because sometimes I feel like we sit down in those meetings, like, okay, what's our goals? And people are like, well, I want the kids to have fun. And, and, and I want, uh, you know, a really positive environment. I'm like, well, that's great. We all want that. But like, what are your actual goals? What do you want to accomplish this year? And, and, and I'll push them in the sense that like, it's okay for you to say, I want to be a district champ, or I want our team to be in the hunt to win a state, a state title. Um, that's okay. There's other things that we need to focus on at the same time, but like, let's really reach for these goals and not just settle for something simple that, that everybody says. Um, so we'll have some of those questions. Uh, if my staff says they need something, I really try to find a way to make sure that we have that. So if they say, you know, we need a new pole vault or one of our vaulters or our sprinters need, you know, some new device to, to, to track their 10, 10 yard dash or 40 yard dash or whatever. Um, like I want to make sure they have that type of stuff. So we have those conversations early. Uh, and then as we start getting into the season uh, on Mondays, Monday morning, I'll send an email to the entire staff. And I do this with cross country as well. Uh, that essentially says, you know, an overview of the week before, uh, expectations for the upcoming week. And then I'll call out a, a few different things. So maybe it's, Hey, you know, this person and that person seems like there was something going on between them. Maybe a rift was forming, blah, blah, blah. I need you to take care of this. Cause I think that that's something that you're really good at. Um, or, you know, we've got 10 new freshmen, uh, who I'm super excited about and I think can be contributors down the road. We need to make sure that we cultivate those kids and, 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 and bring them together and help them to understand what they're capable of. So, um, you know, coach, whatever you're going to do that. Cause I think that that's something that you're really good at. Um, so I really try to assign tasks to, to, to our coaches to give them purpose so that when they show up that week, you know, outside of coaching their kid to be the best high jumper that they can be, they've got some other things that they're going to be focusing on as well. One of the biggest lessons I learned early on in my career, when I, when I first became a head coach, this is the year, uh, if we have a season, like you said, this would be year five. But that first year or so, it was, it was really hard to let go of tasks and, I don't know, coaching things that I thought were really important and that I thought, well, I need to handle that because I'm the head coach and I want the program run mm-hmm. a certain way. So I'm going to do that. So it was really hard for me to let go of that and allow assistance to have, you know, freedom and responsibility. But since doing that, it's made my life way easier, made the buy-in for the assistant coaches so much higher because now they have, they have say, they have power, they have the ability to make decisions and kind of take ownership of their, of their groups. So within your program, when you have, when you have that many coaches and that many athletes, uh, how important would you say it is that you hire and have coaches that, that I guess are okay taking on that amount of responsibility? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think it's really important. And when I sit down with coaches uh, for an interview, you know, somebody who's interested in coming on, um, there are certain things that I'll evaluate. What do we need uh, from, from a program standpoint? So if we're talking cross country, for example, uh, when, when the head coach uh, who had been there for my first six years decided that she was going to retire, um, I kind of looked at like, well, what am I not good at that she's really good at? And she was an amazing motherly figure. 
um, had a heart of gold and really wanted to uh, to ensure that each kid had a really positive experience. And, and to an extent, I can bring that to the table. You know, I can I can I can offer up that TLC, but 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 I can't do it in the same way that she can. And I needed to find somebody who could offer something like that. So when I sit down with these coaches, I try to have a conversation around that. Like, okay, this is kind of what I'm looking for. This is my expectation for this role or for this job. Are are you capable of that? Is that something that you're interested in? Is that a you know a job that you wanna that you want to take on? And um, and sometimes the answer is no, and, and and that's okay. But that's probably in the best interest of our staff, and that's probably in the best interest of our kids. Um, so I really try to to do a, a you know my due diligence when it comes to vetting and, and ensuring that we're bringing the right people on board. Yeah, having the right people is really important, and I know in baseball it's it's important to have player leaders. But just thinking about your numbers and the amount of coaches you have, it kind of lends itself really naturally that you're probably in great need of of athletes who are leaders within the mm-hmm. program. And, you know, with working with high school kids for long enough, it, you can create leaders that, you know, there's some kids who are just naturally really good at it and they'll just take, take the lead. Um, some kids just by being good at whatever their, their task is will naturally kind of become leaders. But the, then there's also the part of kids who, who need to be taught. What types of things do you do, or maybe your coaches do successfully to kind of help the athletes in your programs become better leaders? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and I think the, the individual's name was Sandro from Valhalla. Oh yeah. Soccer. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I loved his answer about leaders where they don't assign leaders. Cause, because we actually don't, we don't assign leaders as well, or we don't assign captains. I should use that term. Mm-hmm. Um, and my reasoning for that was because a handful of years ago, when I first took over the track and field program, I had all of our cat or all of our coaches assigned whoever their captains and for the most part, it seemed to be our best kids, which I thought was a little bit odd, but that's okay. But as the year progressed, I would see certain kids try to speak up. And then it was almost like they realized like, well, I'm not the captain, so I shouldn't speak up. Mm-hmm. And those kids ended up actually being our better leaders. And I felt like when we started assigning captains, we were taking voices away from somebody else. And if you get into the habit of just choosing a leader based on their ability, you're probably not going to have the best leaders on the team. So we'll talk about leadership and, and we'll have conversations and, and we actually will spend almost uh, one meeting per week discussing leadership and what that means to us as a coach or as a coaching staff. Maybe one week I'll talk about it. The next week, one of our other coaches will talk about it. Uh, but we'll, we'll really try to help the kids understand what that means and, and some different things that they can do um, to hone in on their leadership skills. But but we want to sign it because I don't want to take a voice away from a sophomore Um because they, they automatically assume, well, that captain is a senior. I'm only a sophomore. I shouldn't have a voice. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is, is when we do our team banquet at the end of the year, the coaches will, will get together and we'll have a conversation. Okay, who were our captains? And we'll assign them at that point. And the excitement and you know the, the, the feeling from those kids when they realize that we looked at them as, as those individuals on our team is, is second to none. Uh, when we hand them that, that kind of captain um, plaque is, is, is pretty exciting. So, um, hopefully that answers your question, but yeah, we're, we don't really choose captains at the beginning of the year because we want to ensure that everybody feels like they have a voice. Yeah, absolutely. Sandra Prosperino's response was really similar. Um, especially the part about assigning captains kind of at the end of the season, mm-hmm. um, after everything's done and how much more powerful that is and how much more ownership, I guess, that teammates would kind of take on throughout the process, knowing that, Anybody in your program can be a leader. 
And, you know, at the end, maybe there's even a chance that you get, you know, if you do it well and people respect you and you're a good teammate, that your coaches will recognize that. So I think that's a really powerful thing for for kids to experience is that that payoff for being good at what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So you mentioned earlier that you had, I think you said a couple of mantras. You mentioned Mm -hmm. one is be the best version of yourself every day. And I I love that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they're super cliche and I say that to the kids. But, but I'll tell you, so I'll tell you what they are. And then I'll tell you how I realized like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. So our first one is love your teammates. Really simple, really, really simple. But when you really buy into that idea, you'll do anything for that person or you'll do anything for that team. The second one is be the best version of yourself. And I think that that's so applicable, regardless of whether you're the best runner in the state or you're brand new to the sport of cross country or track and field. Um, because you likely won't win the majority of races or the majority of competitions that you enter. But if you walk into your bathroom at the end of the night and you're brushing your teeth and you look yourself in the mirror and you realize I did everything I could to be the best that I could be on this day, there's nothing more that you can really be proud of. And, and, and regardless of whether you're, you're winning that event or, or winning that race, that doesn't matter. If you know you did everything you could on that day and you know you did everything you could the day before and the day before and the day before and so on, what more do you need out of, out of life than to be super proud of yourself? Um, so we really try to harp on, on and focus on that. Um, the third one is wherever you are, be all there. We're so invested in what's going on in the future that we forget about living in the present. And we're so uh, invested in, in, in what's going on around us, whether it's our phones or this test that I have to take next week or a race that's coming up in a month, rather than just being in the moment, moment and, and focusing on the here and now we need to come back to a place where, where we focus on more of that, that journey rather than the destination and being proud of who we are in that moment. Um, because if we can't figure that out, we're probably not going to be as successful in the future because we've, we've, we've not taken advantage or we've not taken that, 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 that now period um, seriously enough to, to, to set ourselves up for success um, in the future. So that first mantra, and I'm going to go back to that because I love it. And I don't know where I heard it from, but it was one of those things that one day I said it to the kids and, and it just worked. And it got to a point where kids were rolling their eyes and I started getting really annoyed. I'm like, why are you rolling your eyes? This is cool stuff. And then I listened to this podcast um, by a coach named Dan Iverson, who is, is arguably probably the second or third best women's cross country coach in the entire country from a high school standpoint. And his, he, he spoke on this issue and his, his answer was, well, when they roll their eyes, that means they got it. It means they heard it enough times that it's resonating in their brains that I don't need to say it. And I'm going to keep saying it, but they got it. And it's really powerful now when we go to a cross country meet and a Lincoln athlete is finishing and you see a line of Lincoln athletes cheering them on and they're all shouting LYT, which stands for love your teammates. Hmm. And, and you see this kid and I'm getting chills talking about it right now. You see this kid who's got 200 meters to go and they're able to go to another you know, another place or, or another level in order to finish because they, you know, it's that, that trigger of doing something or being a part of something bigger than yourself. So long-winded answer. Those are our three mantras, but um, really, really believe in those. Uh, that Dan Iverson quote you just said kind of, I'm not joking. It gave me chills myself. <laughs> yeah. That uh, I see that too, with some of the, the mantras and sayings that we have in our program. And you do sometimes get that eye roll in as a coach, I have absolutely had the feeling of like, oh man, am I like, is this, I, I, I'm being serious. Like this is important stuff. 
and I've never thought of it in that lens. And I think that's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the loving your teammates part two, how do you, uh, and I hate to keep going back to the numbers thing, but uh, you know, as a non track and field and cross country guy, it still blows my mind. Sure. How do you, how do you make an environment where you help players love or help, help runners and, and teammates love each other uh, in an environment where you have so many of them, you know, I, yeah. I have 250 kids. How do I foster an environment where these 250 kids are truly going to love each other and be great teammates to one another? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and the short answer is it takes a ton of work. <laughs> um, long answer is uh, it takes a ton of work. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is, is we really try to make an effort uh, whether it's the cross country team or the or the track and field team, that we're going to to show all those kids as much love as possible. Um, so when we have a, it, I'll I'll say cross country, and the only reason I'm using cross country as an example is because that's we're in season one, and, and that's kind of where who we're meeting yes. right now. Um, but from a cross country perspective, I have a letter uh, that one of my senior athletes got up and read at our banquet a number of years ago, and it moved me to tears at the banquet, and I was like, oh my gosh. Every incoming freshman needs to hear this because if they hear this letter, they're going to understand what this program is all about. And if they hear this letter and they read this letter, they're going to get it. Um, so I hand them a letter and, it's, and, and I have their name written on it and every single freshman gets it. Um, and then I'll sit our freshmen down and I'll have a conversation with them. I'll pull them away from everybody else. And, you know, you've got 30 or 40 brand new kids who most of them can't walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and, and I'll sit them down and I say, listen, you are the most important person on this team. And they're looking at me like, what? You, you don't even know who we are. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you've done at this point. But every other person, sophomore, junior, senior, they've already written some part of their story or they've already written their story. But you're brand new to this and your book is completely empty. Your diary, your journal, whatever is completely empty. And only you can decide what that's going to say in four years. And only you can dictate what mark you're going to leave on this program. So I challenge you now on your first day to leave a mark that you're going to be proud of. And if you have, you know, wonderment of, of what that's going to look like, come back to this moment right now when you feel super inspired and, and, and remind yourself of what you want that mark to be. So that's kind of the starting point for us from a freshman standpoint. Um, we give a lot of love to our JV because we wouldn't be who we are without our JV. Um, so after meets, um, we have these beanies that we get and, and we'll pass them out to kids. Um, and, and, and it, and it has nothing to do with PRs. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. That's a, a small part of it, but there's so many other things. It's about showing up. It's about having good grades, about being a good teammate, all these things that we notice. And, you know, we might give five or six of those beanies away after every meet. And we'll talk specifically about that kid. Like this person earned this beanie because of X, Y, and Z. And that kid comes to the front. Everyone's hooting and hollering for them and being super excited. Um, so that's one piece. Another piece is, um, you know, we'll go to a meet and, 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 and I'll use track and field as, as an example this time. And um, we'll send our JV and we'll go up against the Tigers and the Jesuits and some of these other programs and we'll win. And, and, and we'll really make sure that those kids realize how well they performed. And this person had a huge PR and we needed two points in order to win this event. And this person came through on their last throw and made it happen. Um, and we try to make sure that those JV kids feel like a million bucks. Cause at some point they could be a varsity athlete. Um, but even if they're never not, you know, varsity kids sees that JV kid do something. Well, then they're inspired to do it too. Or they see a JV kid have a certain mark. Like, well, shoot, if that person can do that, what can I do? 
Um, so the more we can keep those JV kids as, as inspired as possible, the more that our varsity is going to find success. Um, and then we do a good job, I think, of, uh, of incorporating all the groups together through fun events. So I talked about that potluck at the beginning of the cross-country season. We'll do pasta, pizza dinners um, during the cross-country and track and field season. Our kids will get together and go to the pumpkin patch in the fall and they'll go laser tagging and all these other things in the spring. Um, so our kids are really good about getting everybody together and, and making sure that we have that, um, that real team feel. So again, long-winded, but hopefully that kind of answered that question. Oh, it absolutely did. And I, I, that last part where you're looking at fun ways to kind of bring the groups together in the world we're in right now mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with COVID and maybe not having access to our kids. I know you guys just recently kind of got access again. Did you find any creative ways to stay connected with your athletes during this time where we mm-hmm. couldn't physically be together? Yeah, I actually, that's one thing I'm, I'm proud of. And some of it, I've got to give kudos to my coaching staff because uh, they're really good at coming up with some of those ideas. Um, so, so the first piece is before every season, I sit down and I have a one-on-one with every single kid on the team. Um, and, and the purpose for that is because I want to know kind of their why and their expectation of themselves and their expectation of the coaching staff, but specifically with, with everything that's going on with COVID, I just want to know how they're doing. You know, you haven't seen a human outside of your parents, uh, you know, from a, from a non screen standpoint in quite some time, like, how are you mentally, emotionally, all these things. Um, so we start with that and then, uh, we try to have little challenges where the kids would send us photos on Instagram and we would post them. And then the coaches would all vote on the coolest photo or video or whatever. And the kids would win a gift card or something like that. Um, we partnered with central Catholic and Wilson and started doing some other challenges. We did a big fire drive for those, um, families that were affected in, in Southern Oregon, which was amazing to come together and do and and see all three of those communities really come together and and help those families. We've done other little challenges like a 5k or a 3k or a four by mile or, you know, a run from this part of Portland to that part of Portland. Um, So that's been really fun. And then we'll have a Monday meeting where we'll, we'll essentially act as if it's the post meet or post race meeting. And I'll say, Hey, this person had a huge PR and had an unbelievable day and came out of nowhere and, you know, helped us beat Central Catholic's boys team by one point because they had this effort. And and we'll try to, you know, kind of get super excited for them in that regard. Um, Wednesdays, we do core sessions. We have one of our coaches. um, She was a runner at Ohio State and drills and form and that that kind of stuff is really her expertise. So she'll take the kids through a a core session. Um, Thursdays, we've had kids who are leading the team in cooking classes which has been actually really fun, but they'll just come up with something like uh, this Thursday, a couple of days, it's going to be chocolate mousse. Uh, and they're just going to lead the team in, in a 30 minute demo of how to make chocolate mousse. Um, and that's been really fun. So just trying to be creative, do things different. I mean, I think it's been a struggle for everybody, but just trying to do different things to keep it pretty fresh. Of all the different sports that have impacted, I've seen the most on social media from folks in the track and field and cross country parts. And I don't know if that's because it lends itself a little bit more to individual stuff that kids can kind of do on their own. Mm-hmm. But it, it just seems to me that that's been, of all the different sports that I've just kind of seen, they, they seem to be the most creative in finding ways to make make things work when you can't physically be together. Yeah, in track and field kids and cross-country kids, and I feel comfortable saying this because I'm one of them, but inherently are, are can be weird, you know? Can be <laughs> um, 
because you, you have to be a little bit different in order to want to go run 13 miles on a Saturday when it's 45 degrees and raining. Um, so you can figure out a way to, to persevere through, um, something as serious as COVID and, and try to find some type of silver lining in it. So, um, but it's also just easier, like for a run, all I need is myself to go play baseball. You know, I need to get some friends together and somebody pitch to me and somebody to field the ball or, you know, basketball, I guess I can shoot around by myself, but, uh, you know, it's a lot more fun if I'm playing one-on-one or two-on-two, something like that. So. So the, the sport certainly lends itself to to being a little bit more individualistic. Yeah, I married into a, a track and field family. So my wife ran ran track and field uh, and cross country. Um, she coached it for a few years in, in, with the middle school team here locally. Uh, her sister ran in college uh, and her, her little brother's uh, senior this year over in sister's high school. And you're not joking <laughs> at the the amount of times that we're going to cross country events, especially because it tends to be even worse weather. Although spring certainly has its drawbacks too, yeah. <laughs> uh, where it's it is absolutely freezing, and I'm just mm-hmm. standing there in uh, you know some mud, watching these cross country kids just covered in mud and and just rain and freezing temperatures. Do you guys have any like mental practice things that you do with kids in practice to kind of help them handle the <laughs> the weather, the fact that you're running for really long distances, all of that stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, watching other kids maybe pass you by. Do you have any mental game stuff that you work on? Yeah, we do a lot with that. Um, and a lot of it starts with goal setting at the beginning of the year, um, because I think when we have a, a firm idea of what those goals are, it makes um, it makes some of those other conversations a little bit easier. So an example is we sat down with our girls team uh, at the start of the 2019 cross country season. And we asked them to create a goal for themselves and then a reach goal. And, and they were to create a, a, a goal for themselves and a reach goal for both themselves as an individual and us as a team. Um, and all of them, you know, wrote their goals. I want to be, you know, I want to run sub 18 for 5K or I want to be top 20 at state. And for the team, you know, I might be, I want to be third and the reach goals be second. Um, and I was like, okay, this is great. This is great. This is what I'm looking for. And I said, okay, here's my goal is I want to be top three at the state meet. Uh, for the third year in a row. And I want to make NXN. And NXN is the team cross-country national championships. And I looked at our kids and I said, hey, who thinks that that's doable? Who thinks that that's possible? And not a single kid raised their hand. Um, So I realized, okay, we need to work on this so that these kids believe in themselves and buy in. And and we did a a variety of things. We went to specific meets. uh, We we did some some very specific workouts. uh, But from a mental standpoint, you know, we would do a workout and say, okay, we're preparing for this specific moment at the Nike cross regional race. Um, so that when we get there, we've already experienced that moment. So it's not something new because historically we've gone to this meet and we've really run poorly. Um, so, so we'll talk a lot about that. We'll talk about, you know, visualization. So I want the kids to really try to focus on, um, thinking about the race ahead of time, but I also want them to see themselves fail when they think about the race ahead of time, because how often do we have or go through some type of visualization and, and, and it goes just perfectly. And then how often do we get into some form of competition and it goes perfectly <laughs> ever. Right. So if the only thing that we're thinking of and the only thing we're visualizing is perfection, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Um, so we'll, we'll go through some different things and I'll say, okay, we're a mile and a half into the race. We're halfway there and the pack does this. 
what's your reaction to that moment going to be? And the reason why we'll have that conversation is because, you know, if the first time you're thinking about that is when it happens, you're probably going to make the wrong decision, right? Your heart rate is super elevated. You're breathing really hard. It's a, it's a bit of a state of panic because you've got all these people running around you. Um, you're, you're probably going to make the wrong decision if you've not once thought of that. Um, so we try to talk a lot about those different scenarios from a racing standpoint. Um, and then probably the biggest one, and there's one other piece I'll share, but probably the biggest one is um, anytime my kids will come up to me and say, like, I'm not ready, I'm not prepared, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm this, I'm that. I say, listen, I am never going to put you in a position to fail. Um, you Things may not work the way that you want them to at the end of this race, but that's not because you're not ready. That's because something else potentially happened. Maybe you took yourself out of that race. Maybe you made a poor decision mid-race, but I will never put you in a position to fail. I'll never put you in a position that you are not qualified to be in. Um, and in building up that level of trust has been really helpful with our kids. Um, but also from, from a visualizing standpoint, like they needed to see what they were capable of, especially with this girls team with, you know, how many think we can qualify for nationals and no one raises their hand. So the night before the regional, I sat down and I printed out the results because we had traveled to Idaho, which is where the regional meet was. We had traveled to that meet earlier in the year. And then obviously we flew back for the regional. I said, listen, look at this team's number two, or look at this team's number four. And she ran this time in, in whatever month that was, September, and you ran this time. And, and now we're in November and she's run this time and you've run this time. And you've run 50 seconds faster than you did a few months ago. And she ran four seconds faster. Like, who do you think is going to have a better day tomorrow? Who do you think is going to run better? And all of our girls were just chomping at the bit when they saw that. Like when we set them up with that example and gave them something or a reason to believe, they were fired up and ready to go. So, um, sorry, keep giving you really long-winded answers, but I feel like there's a lot that goes into into trying to do this. Well, there's a lot that goes into it, and I've heard from a couple times from you something, and I want to I want to lay it out to you, and then you let me know if I'm if I'm maybe summarizing it incorrectly. There's a lot of coaches that shy away from doing what you've done, which is setting kind of lofty goals, like making mm-hmm. it to nationals. Um, and they shy away for a number of reasons. The one I tend to hear the most is they shy away from it because of this perception that if if I set this goal, like, okay, look, we're going to win the state title this year, and then we don't win the state title, well, then that this year must be a failure. And so that's the way a lot of coaches um, go after goals and maybe shy away from making big lofty team goals like that. Mm-hmm. You seem to be going in a little bit different direction of saying, no, we're going to set these lofty goals because I'm going to provide kids with the confidence and the ability to understand that they are worthy of reaching these goals, mm-hmm. even if we don't end up actually reaching them. Is yep. that, does 100%. that make sense? I think you perfectly said that. I really haven't. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I've never heard that before. And I've been someone who's kind of shied away from team goals a little bit in the past. But I really like that. And I, I'll, I'll bring it back to something that happened with us. We were a decent team. But about three years ago, our senior class, I met with them. Uh, we were having pizza for dinner. We just kind of sat down and kind of talked about our goals for the year. And we're kind of talking about, you know, more more human goals of, we, you know, we want to be better people and stuff. And one of the seniors who was actually new to our program, he had transferred to our school. So he had never played a single game for us. Uh, he just stepped in and said, no, I, I think we should try to win the state championship. And it was like, really? And so he kind of laid it out and he's like, well, look, we had this player, this player, this player and all that. Anyway, and so we we kind of decided, all right, let's dive in. Let's try to do it. And since then, with a lot of preloading and kind of what you're 
you're actually doing. Um, we've we've ended up being a lot more successful on the field, and I think a lot of that just ties back into the 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 confidence you can create in 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 yourselves and your teammates and people around you when you do set lofty goals as a group. Right, and I wouldn't do that with any group. You know, like no. I that with our guys team last year, um, but our girls team. When you look at what we brought back and you look at who had come into the program. I, I I genuinely felt like that there was a real possibility that could happen, and you just watch the confidence grow over the course of the season. And and you have to, you know, you have to be willing to make changes and adjustments. Like, did everything go well did, over the course of the year? Absolutely not. When we went to Idaho the first time, we got our butts kicked. We ran terrible. We had girls in tears. Like girls, you know, wanted to kill each other. It just didn't go well. But but that was a learning and a bonding experience for us. And fast forward three weeks later, and we go up to Washington for a big invitational. We lose to Jesuit, which is a national powerhouse year in and year out by one point. And our girls are like, oh my gosh, we can run with the best teams in the country. And then there's this site called athletic.net, which essentially compiles results from across the across the country. Um, and our girls team was ranked eighth in the country based on that. And, and it's cross country, right? Like the courses here are different than Colorado, which is different than Florida and New York. But, but that didn't matter. My girls just needed to believe that they could run with anybody. Um, and you just watch that confidence continue to grow and, and the idea of like, we can do this, we are capable and, and it ended up coming to fruition. But, but even if it didn't, it would have been a really successful year because of the growth that our girls had seen over the course of, you know, the six months or so that we, we started preparing. Well, that's something I can really appreciate about track and field and cross country is that in, in baseball, the data, we just talked about it before we started the podcast about a decision that we just saw in the World Series tonight and how, you know, data tries to drive decision making in baseball and it doesn't always quite work out. Something I really appreciate about track and field and cross country is you have times, you have mm-hmm. uh, distances. Uh, if you're talking about a throw or a discus, all that stuff, uh, it's very well laid out and it's very, at least from the outside, it looks really black and white. Like this is your time. This is your PR. I guess what I'm driving at is when you have girls or, or boys who just times wise, there's another, you know, a JV person who their times are now maybe better. And it's the, you know, you kind of kind of have to make changes. Um, how do those conversations go? Because in baseball, so much of the conversation is um, subjective. So it's mm-hmm. me as a coach saying, well, you know, Joe, you're just defensively, you know, Jerry's looking a little bit better than you right now. And it's, it's, it can be really, it's hard to, explain to a player because there's no data on on the piece of paper that I can really give to them. Right. Um, you kind of get what I'm getting at. So in, in yeah. track and field cross country, how do those conversations go? They're still hard, you know, because it, it isn't necessarily always the person with the fastest time, you know, so our, a girl who ran, and I love this story. Um, she didn't run a single varsity race for us all year, except for the national championships but she was ready to go every single time. And, and the night that we found out, I was actually flying back from Maryland from a wedding. Uh, and I got the phone call when I was on the plane, like, Hey, you guys, you guys, um, you, you, you qualified. And, and I called one of the moms because I knew all the girls were having sleep over that night. I'm like, Hey, I'm coming. I made it. Don't tell them. I want to tell them. And I told them and everyone's going berserk and super excited. And the girl who had been JV all year just kind of steps to the side and she's like having a moment to herself. And I just hear her speaking to herself and she says, I was a JV runner all year. And now I get to run at the national championships. Um, and that was a really special moment. Um, why was she able to do that? Because she was super consistent because every time we called upon her, uh, she showed up and she was ready to go. And, and that's something that has to, you know, unfortunately come into 
come into play. If you can run 1830 for 5k, but when we need you to run 1830, you run 20 minutes, that makes a really tough decision. Do we take the person who has run maybe 10 seconds slower, but has done it in all the biggest races? Or do we take the person who's run 10 seconds faster, but has a tendency to struggle when there's a lot on the line? Um, And that conversation is hard. You know, you've run faster. I get that, but we need to do what's in the best interest of Lincoln High School. Um, and I think that we've gotten to a point where our culture is, is at a high enough level that that's a tough conversation. And is that girl sad or is that guy sad? Absolutely. But is that person, the one who's cheering the loudest the next day when we're at the state meet? Absolutely. Well, it ties back into LYT, right? Love your teammates. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think that's so important. Yeah. The culture piece of it, like you said, the conversations are still really difficult, but ultimately the idea is that the athletes understand and while they may be upset and they may be frustrated by it, they still need to be there for each other. And they still need to show up and, like you said, do what's best for Lincoln High School or whatever high school they're at. I want to take a step back and I want to go backwards because I, I, I have to ask you about mm-hmm. University of Oregon. So you you went there on scholarship to run. You mentioned things maybe didn't go as obviously as you planned. But I still got to ask you, it's track town. What was it like being a student athlete at the... I mean, what I, I think even people who know nothing about track and field know that University mm-hmm. of Oregon is the place for runners. What was it like there? It was amazing. Um, my first experience on campus, we were staying at the Phoenix Inn um, before we were going to our cross-country team camp. And, and there was 10 guys in my recruiting class. And uh, we get into the, to the elevator in the hotel and there's this guy who is uh, like, hey, you're AJ Acosta, you're Eric Detman, and you're Justin Harbour. Like, how do you know this? And there's two sets of twins, my, my brother and myself and, and these other two, the Mercados. Um, we were all in the elevator and they knew who each one of us were. And maybe they were guessing. Um, but that was when I kind of realized like, whoa, this is real. Like people do get it. People do care. Um, and that was wild. Um, you know, th- did the experience go the way I wanted to? No. So we had to take a class called EDLD, which was an education leadership class as freshmen. And the first day of class, you had to write down your goals. So there was academic, social, and athletic goals. And, and uh, you know, my goals were I want to be this uh, at nationals or I want to be this time All-American or All-Pac-12 or whatever. And, and I didn't accomplish a single athletic goal that I set for myself. Knowing that now, would I change anything? Absolutely not. Uh, because that that helped me to, to be the person I am today. And that helped me to be the coach that I am today. You know, when I was in high school, I had a ton of success. When I was in high school, I had little success. I can relate to just about any athlete uh, who's feeling the highest of the highs and lowest of the lows. From So from that standpoint, I, I wouldn't give that up. Um, and I loved my teammates. I mean, I still talk to some of those individuals. And, you know, I was teammates with a guy like Matt Sensuous, who just won an Olympic gold medal in the 1500. I was teammates with Ashton Eaton, who was a two-time gold medalist, who was the world record holder in decathlon. Andrew Weeding, who won a whole bunch of national championships and uh, and, and it was a two-time Olympian and the list goes on and on and on. I was around some incredible humans, uh, runners, but more importantly, humans who, you know, to this day, I still consider my friends. So, um, yeah, I loved that experience. Loved every minute of it. I bet it, it seems to be that when athletes head to college and maybe they don't have the success that they plan to have a lot of times that in turn helps them be a, a much better coach. And I, I'm not saying that if you end up being uh, really successful in college that you can't be a great coach. That happens all the time too. But it seems like there are so many lessons that we learn. I had a similar experience in college where things didn't go the way I wanted it to. But I think that made me a lot better 
coach because like you said you can relate to players and athletes and uh, just kids a little bit better because of your own experiences um you mentioned early in the podcast the self-doubt that you that kind of creeped in in college that you had never experienced before how often do you rely on on that college experience when you're working with current athletes pretty often for a couple of reasons one i'm really lucky that i went to york and i went to oregon and i had the coaches that i did um and i had some in, in, incredible leaders and uh not only did I personally experience what I felt like was almost the full lineup of, of emotions as a runner, but I also had coaches who, who worked with myself and athletes like me, who I was able to watch and grow from and learn from. And how did they interact in that situation? Or how did they treat me in, in this situation? Uh, in, in one of the most profound moments I had, my high school coach, uh, my brother and I were trying to run um, a pretty quick mile. We we're trying to break 410 in high school, our senior year. And we'd gone to this meet and, um, you know, we ended up running, I think, 413 or 414. So not terribly, but but quite a ways off what we were hoping to run. And I was sitting in the back of the bus and I was super sad and, and kind of emotional and upset. And my coach sat down next to me and says, hey, that's my fault. Poor coaching. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you told me weeks ago you want to run under 410. You didn't run under 410. I didn't have you prepared to run under 410. Poor coaching, my fault. Like, it's not your fault. You've done everything right. But in that moment, I really appreciated him saying that. And that's something I say to my kids all the time. You know, if I have a kid who has a bad race and, and I genuinely, you know, I realized like he just, he probably wasn't as ready or is there something I didn't do to help that person? I'm, I'm more than happy to, to pull that line out. Um, so I'll, I'll draw a lot from, from those experiences, um, whether it's self-doubt or some of the success, successes or, or whatever it might be uh, to try to help our kids out. There's a book by uh, Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, what you just mentioned is kind of the entire crux of that book. And it's the idea that as as a leader, you know, your your number one task is to is to bear ownership of everything that happens. Right. So you mentioned your coach saying, well, you didn't run what I, I needed you to run. And that's my fault. So I, I catch myself doing that sometimes too. just seeing an athlete's face being like, whoa, now wait a second. And then in turn, they then want to try to take ownership of it too. And I think it builds kind of a really good culture um, of, of you taking ownership, athletes taking ownership and everybody trying to take ownership of where things maybe didn't go well. Right. Absolutely. I think that's really important. What's have, that book have, called? Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership. Okay. Uh, yeah, by a, a Jocko Willink. He's a Navy, a former Navy SEAL, and then a trainer um, of Navy SEALs. He's written a few books, but um, that one was was very good. I have a selfish question, and it's kind of the last thing that <laughs> I want to make sure we get to. Um, so I, I coach baseball, obviously. So the longest we're running, you know, in a straight line is about ninety feet. Um, you know, in turn, we can go a little bit farther uh, mm -hmm. if we're really going a long way but um there's so there's it's it's short sprints short short bursts basically um if i'm trying to build some more um i hate to use the word speed training because it's so much more encompassing than that but if i'm trying to use conditioning time and practice to, to also help my players actually get faster are there a couple of things that i can implement you know in the next couple of days where i can help my guys just be you know over the course of time become a little bit faster i'm assuming you guys probably don't like running Nobody likes running unless they're yeah. a runner. <laughs> right. And even and some runners, saying, I, I don't think like it. Yeah. No, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not saying that because you guys are baseball, baseball players. Cause I, baseball is, I love baseball. I, I played baseball when I was a kid. So, so the reason I asked that question is because the last thing you should do is make them run. And by that, I mean like for a long period of time, but how often do you have your kids do max velocity training? 
So when we're doing um, speed, or I, I, like I said, I don't want to use speed training as the word because I can't say that that's what we're doing. But we're, we're generally doing like partner races for, you know, 20 yards on mm-hmm. first movement sort of a thing. So we're, we're trying to do short bursts, I guess, is what we've kind of focused on. Sure. And that's great. And I think that that's probably one of the key things that you can do. But how often? So when, when I'm talking max velocity, you know, so, so there's the idea of sprinting as fast as you can for some period of time. But how often are you also doing form form specific work? Zero. And and I and, and I cannot remember if I saw this on Twitter or if I was listening to it. I think I saw this on Twitter. But there is a lot of conversation around Mookie Betts, and I'm using him as an example. Uh, the the drop step. Yes. And when you look at his ankle flexion, when he is running and taking off from first, stealing second, and winning America Free Tacos. That is a very sprint mechanic thing that he's doing that most people don't train and most people don't do those types of drills. Um, and there are, there are drills that you can do that are, you know, that'll take 10 minutes of your time or even, even mechanic specific things like A skips and B skips and showing that you're doing uh, those drills correctly that will help improve your kid's form, which in turn helps improve um, their ability to sprint. Um, so I think one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to running fast is people think about like, I've got to get my feet off the ground as fast as possible, but it's actually the complete opposite. So the more force we put into the ground, the more force we can come off the ground with. So if we can teach our body to put that force into the ground, we're going to be faster runners, better sprinters, you know, so from zero to 90 or uh, first to second base, whatever that might be, we're going to get there a little bit quicker. Um, but that type of training, it has to come with a lot of rest. Like those guys aren't going to want to do something max, you know, max speed running 30 meters as fast as they can and do that again, two minutes later. That's like something where we're going to run as fast as we can. And we have to take, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes in between to ensure that our body has totally recalibrated and we're ready to do it again. Uh, but if you do stuff like that, I, I guarantee you, you will find um, one, your players will probably enjoy it. Uh, and two, they're going to be quite a bit quicker. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember back to my days as an athlete, and I, I use the word athlete jokingly because uh, a lot of baseball players aren't the most. I mean, we're athletic, but uh, sure. I think ninety-mile <laughs> fastball is the hardest thing to do in sports. But yeah, but we hate running, and yeah. again, a lot even some runners still don't don't really enjoy running. Uh, and so I've tried in in my program. I've one of my big goals is when we're quote unquote doing conditioning, I want it to be something that we're, you know, utilizing to get better at our sport and mm-hmm. to get better at, at what we're doing. And so thank you for indulging me and giving me a couple of things that we can kind of implement. Um, yeah. So a guy, so really quick, not to, not to cut you off and I apologize. No, no, go for it. Go a guy for it. I follow on Twitter is Tony Holler and he's got a system called feed the cats. And, and his idea behind that is distance runners are dogs. Dogs like to run forever. Cats like to sit, 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 and then they strike and then they're going to sit, 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 and they're going to strike. But look up some of his stuff. It's really, really easy to implement into your program. Uh, but that guy, in my opinion, is is a kind of a big time guru when it comes to max velocity sprint training. And there's a lot of baseball. There's a lot of football. There's a lot of track and field programs who use what he does because of the success. I love it. Feed the cats. I can get into that. Coach, uh, I, I wanted to give you one last opportunity. If there's anything maybe we didn't cover, anything that you had kind of on your mind throughout our conversation or that you kind of had coming in that you think might be of help to coaches or just just good for, for kids in general. Sure. Yeah. I think the most important thing as a coach is we, you know, so we ask so much of the kids in terms of giving getting better and, and we need to ask the same of, of ourselves. 
because I think that the moment that we stop trying to to get better and to, and to improve whatever that might be is a moment that we start doing a disservice to our kids. Um, my big recommendation, and, and I'm a newer coach, I'm young, I'm 32 years old. I haven't been doing it that long. Um, find mentors, read books, listen to podcasts. There's so much great information out there. And, and maybe that doesn't apply to your program, or maybe you can't implement all of what that person is talking about, but I guarantee there's something that you can pull that's going to help your program be more successful, but be super, super open-minded, be willing to talk to those around you, be willing to reach out to coaches outside of the sport that you coach. The first thing I did uh, when I uh, took over at Lincoln was I reached out to a couple of the top coaches in other sports in the state of Oregon. And I said, why are you successful? And what are you doing that nobody else is? And those coaches were like, well, nobody has ever asked us that before. And I was blown away. I'm like, why not? You're really good. Why wouldn't people ask you? Um, but I think, you know, just be willing. Like so many coaches, how often do you talk to a coach and they say like, nah, I don't want to help you. Um that, that probably rarely happens. So be willing to have those conversations, be willing to improve and to get better and to learn and be open-minded. Um, and I think your program's going to flourish and I think your kids are going to have a really great experience because of it. Yeah. The coaching community has, uh, it's just full of people willing to help. And like you said, it doesn't really matter what sport you coach. We can all pull stuff from each other. Coach, I appreciate you coming on. I, I learned a lot and I, I had a good time and I hope our listeners did too. And uh, I just appreciate you coming on. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes, too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, if you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Um, coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, if you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. Uh, so, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>